Awesome. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we are. If uh, this is your first time, we're glad you're here. There is a card in the back of the seat just in front of you. Do us a favor. Sometime before you go, uh, grab that card and uh, fill out the small portion. Fold it a couple times. Tear it off. That is your offering to us today. That's all we ask. We'd love just to have a record of your visit. Here's what you do with that. You drop, drop it in the brown box at the back of this room as, on your way out. That's our offering box. Just make that card your offering to us today. We just want to be able to pray with you and answer any questions you have and uh, just to be able to reach out to you and uh, give you whatever information you might, might need about Cornerstone. We're, we're glad you're here. However you have found your way here, uh, we believe it's by no accident. And I hope you do as well. Uh, growing up, I didn't get saved until I was in high school. Really didn't start going to church until I was in high school. Uh, only started going because my best friend was dating a pastor's daughter. And uh, he said, if I got to go, you got to go. And uh, so I got, I got roped into going to church with this guy, so he didn't have to go by himself. But I always remember the pastor saying, you know you're not here by accident, you know, to the congregation. But I felt like he was looking right at me. You know you're not here by accident. I hope you feel that way. I hope you feel that anytime you're with the body, anytime you have set time aside to uh, come to worship, that you know it is a divine appointment. And so would you, uh, would you sing that way? Would you, now at this point in the service, would you hear the word of God that way? That's my prayer for you that you have a divine appointment with God and His Word and His people. Well, uh, I'm going to save all the announcements to, uh, to your bulletin. It's, uh, it's in there, and I'll let you refer to that. Let's jump right in here. Ephesians chapter 1, we are just a few weeks into this letter, and I have been tracking through the very first run-on sentence in this whole deal. Verses 3 through 14 are one long sentence in the Greek. And uh, I've stretched this one message now into part eight of the series, right? I, don't even, I can't even keep up anymore, okay? What we're trying to do, though, in this long run-on sentence is break it into a few chunks for you. The first part, if you see there in your bulletin, is the part that the Father plays in our salvation. And then last week, we looked at the part the Son plays. And we didn't even finish that message today. I'm going to finish up the message on what the Son's part in your redemption is. And then we'll follow that up and we'll finish this run-on sentence next week, hopefully, with the Holy Spirit's part. Have you noticed that? That this passage goes Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But running all through this one run-on sentence, you have the work, the eternal work of the Heavenly Father handed down to the Son and then the Holy Spirit. But you have the Father, the Godhead, complete behind the whole thing from eternity past to what you'll see as eternity future. An amazing passage, an amazing passage. If you've missed the earlier uh, messages on Ephesians, uh, you can grab them on your way out. They're on the counter there as you go out. Uh, I encourage you to do that. I'm going to go back and just catch you up right here because I want you always to understand this sentence collectively. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's immediately Paul's focus, and it's going to continue to be his focus throughout this whole sentence. Our hearts and our minds are intended throughout this passage to go to God and to stay there. And what you could also say right alongside that is our hearts and our minds are to come off of ourselves as they go to God. What do I mean by that? This, this whole passage, all the way through the first three chapters essentially, there are going to be no commands. No commands. 
You could sit here this morning and you can uh, listen to the whole message. You can leave and you can go tell your family and friends that I went to church and he didn't tell me one thing to do. That's a good, that's a good Sunday for, for most of us, right? Is when we leave feeling all I got was truth. That's what Paul's doing right here. He's giving us truth. And one of the main truths he's trying to emphasize here is that we need to refocus our hearts and minds to understand that eternally God is priority. We have a part to play, but it is to the glory of the praise of His grace, he's going to say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Remember that phrase. You're going to see it over and over and over. So as I read through and catch us up in the passage we've already been through, and I move into the second portion of the passage, what Jesus has done, Look for words that point you back to God, that focus you back to heaven, and that take the attention off of us in our salvation, and that instead put us accepted, loved, adopted, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, but it puts us not in our own light, but in the light of Christ. We are in Christ. Verse 4, just as he, that's God, the Father, chose us in who? Him, God the Son, before the foundation of the world in eternity past, that we would be holy and blameless. In eternity future, we'll stand before him in Christ, holy and blameless. See the plan of God from eternity to eternity? Verse 5, how does he, how does he work that out? Well, he has predestined us. He's marked it out. God is not just sitting in heaven, wringing his hands, trying to figure out what he's going to do with humanity. And with this guy over here, he's doing pretty good, so he helps him along a little bit. But this guy over here, he's so far gone, God doesn't know what he's going to do. This guy over here, he's really impressive to God, so God's giving him a thumbs up. No, God has an eternal plan that includes his predestining us to adoption as sons. Think of the beauty in that. Think of the beauty in that. That we, we get chosen we get picked out, adopted by the Father in heaven. What comfort there is there. But it's not, because we're, it's not because we're so impressive in the orphanage of humanity that God would adopt us. He adopts us through Jesus Christ to himself. Where are we pointing? Where are we pointing? We're pointing back, we're pointing back to God. And what is it based on? End of verse 5. It is according to his kind intention. It's according to the kind intention of his will. Point, we're not the one that impresses God so much that he adopts us. The adoption was predestined. He chose us in Christ, outside of ourselves, but in Christ, that's how he views us, so that he can adopt us. And he does it all, not because of some performance orientation we have before him, but because his kind intention according to his good will. And it all wrapped up this first section to the praise of the glory of his grace. Where do we end up? We end up looking back at the Father, giving him glory to the praise of the glory of his grace, which, by the way, he continues on in this run-on sentence, which, by the way, he freely bestowed on us. Bestowed what? This grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Paul says, by the way, which 
is a grace that you didn't earn. It's a grace that he freely hands you as a gift because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's that kind of grace. It's as if Paul says, make no mistake about what you think grace is. Grace is truly amazing, but maybe we don't notice it when we sing it for what it really is. It's grace that he freely By nothing in us do we coerce God to grant us grace. It's according to his kind intention. It's according to his will. He bestows it upon us freely. How can he do that? How can he do that? This is where we were last week. He could do that in Christ. But he doesn't say Christ here. What does he call him? In the beloved. Isn't that interesting? That he switches from saying in him or in Christ. And the heart of the Father coming through the words of Paul to the church at Ephesus and to us is that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well pleased. I, I think Paul and God would have us know that it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a thing that was trivial to the father to give his son. I mean, maybe because we've heard the story for so long, maybe because we, we've celebrated so many Christmases and Easter's that we, we believe that Jesus being sent to the cross was just another day in God's, in God's eternity. No, I think when he expresses the name of the beloved pronounced here for his son, Jesus, it, 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 it should teach us something of the heart of the Father towards the Son. What kind of day that was when Jesus, the Son of God, God took on flesh humbled himself, let go of all of his privileges of heaven, willingly humbled himself all the way to the point of death, Scripture would tell us. That was, that was a huge day. That was a huge heart day for the Father. This Jesus is the beloved Son. How do we get adoption? How is it that he could mark us out beforehand? How is it that he could choose us? It's not because of you and I. It's not because you were any smarter than the next guy. It's not because you were any better looking than the next guy. It's not because you had any more sway or authority in this life that might be impressive to God. It was because he saw you through the lens of Jesus, the beloved. But look at that lens. It was bestowed upon us in the beloved, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. And last week we spent all of our time, talking about what that phrase means. We went back to the Old Testament and we said that, listen, this has always been the plan of God. Maybe you think think God is just figuring it out as he goes. No, you can go all the way back to Genesis and see the cross. You can go all the way to Hosea where we went last week and you could see the love that the groom has for us, his bride. In all of our sickness, in all of our wretchedness, in all of our idolatry and adultery, spiritually speaking, if not literally speaking. Our husband, Jesus, comes for us, his bride. We're Gomer. We're Gomer. And as Hosea says, we stand naked and ashamed for sale, property of the enemy. But the husband humbles himself and he comes and he says, I'll bid on her. And if anyone else bids, I'll bid higher. And he stays until the bidding is concluded. 
And the Father in heaven slams the gavel and says, that is the highest price that can be paid because it has been paid by the blood of the groom. In his blood, Jesus pays for his bride. No wonder he's called the beloved by the Father. No wonder we can be adopted. No wonder he could look at us all the way back into the first verse and and say, Paul, to the saints, to the saints. I mean, imagine being being one of the original recipients of this letter from from the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Man, Paul, if you knew me, I'm, I'm not a saint. Ah, but let me tell you why you are. And we get all, all the grace of God shed abroad in our hearts through the blood. We were redeemed, verse 7. Let's finish up this section, all right? 7 through 12 is the section on what the work of the Son has done for us. Can I show you what else is here? Because there's a lot more still. You didn't just get redemption. Look at what comes with this. Look at, look at the unfolding of all the way back to verse 6. He ended by talking about the grace that comes from the Father. And now he says, here's what that grace looks like being freely bestowed to you. It looks like the Son on a cross, the beloved Son on a cross. That's what it looks like, pouring out His blood for you. That's what grace looks like so that you can have in Him, what does it say? Forgiveness of your trespasses. Forgiveness. Leviticus. Only through the shedding of blood is there remission of sins. Every good Jew that read Paul's letter would know what he meant here. In his blood, I get forgiveness of my trespasses. Wow. Am I involved in that? Am I the focus of that? I'm the recipient of that. Am I the one that accomplishes that? You're not. Praise God you're not. Because if you were, it would be wholly and completely dependent on you. To achieve and maintain. I'm glad it's not up to me. I'm glad he finished the work. On the cross it was indeed finished. We get forgiveness of our trespasses. Look at the redundancy here at the end of verse 7 of Paul. Look at the redundancy here. He's going to beat this horse until we, until we can't see anything else in this passage. How could he do this? Well, it is according to the riches of his, what does it say? His grace. It's in accordance to the riches of His grace that He pours out this this free gift for us in the Beloved. Verse 8. In case you still don't understand how amazing our God is. What about this grace, Paul? Clarified even more. He now says it's a grace that God has lavished on us. In the Greek, that, that, that word picture, it's just a flooding. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a superlative of superlatives, if you will. It's the whole deal. It's completely spilled out. It's completely flooded us. He lavished it upon us. Uh, one of the words, not this word, but one of the words often used to communicate this, this idea of lavishness in the Greek, Paul uses it in other places, is the, is the Greek word karege. And here, here's what this means. I love this word picture because it's the same concept here. The word picture is of, uh, in Paul's day, you know, they would put on plays and shows and things, all right? So just kind of get that maybe a, kind of a uh, William Shakespeare-ish kind of theater thing going on there, but even previous to that, right? The men who would put on these shows 
as you can imagine, uh, for entertainment's sake, they would try and outdo one another. Those, those men behind the shows, they were called Koreyes. They were, uh, the modern term for what we've drawn from that word is a choreographer, okay? They're the ones that mapped it all out. They're the ones that stepped it all out. Well, that person in Paul's day wasn't the person who, you know, figured out all the steps to the dance. He was the money man behind the scenes. He was, he was, he was the deep pockets behind the show so that when the show went on, what you got was according to his riches. Does that make sense? And they began to, as we still do, outdo one another in entertainment. Make it more lavish, make it more amazing. Add this, add that. More song, more dance, more backdrops, more smoke, more lights. And this word karege became, became known as those guys who would outdo one another. It's the same concept here, that they would lavish, they would pour out, they would blow us away. And in context here, it's God, it's God doing that. It's His riches behind the scenes. He's the one that intends to flood us with His grace. It's a grace, Paul says, that He has lavished on us. Well, watch this. In all wisdom and insight, how does this work out in your life and in my life? I mean, how does all this get down right here to me? Jesus paid the price, but how does it work out now? All right? Hang with me right here. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. What is a mystery? The idea of mystery here, it means at least a couple of things. Let me give you, let me give you two of them. One of the things Paul's trying to communicate here when he says there's this mystery in Christ, that in, that in wisdom and insight, God grants to us uh, the revelation of this mystery. One of, the, one of the things he's trying to help us understand here is, again, focused back on God, taking the focus off of us, is that we need God to give us the wisdom and the insight to understand what we can't understand in our own human flesh. To us, the cross is mysterious. It's, it's not necessarily a secret. The point here is, is that it's something that needs to be revealed to us. All right? So you got the one idea that a mystery is something that needs to be revealed and pair with that the other idea that it's a mystery to you and I because in our, in our flesh, in our humanity, we have been darkened in our sin to truth. We not only can't see the light, we resist the light. And so outside of Christ, while we're still on our own, it is a mystery to us what God is doing from eternity to eternity. It took Wisdom and insight granted to us from God for us to understand the mystery of what he's doing, namely in Jesus, in time and space throughout all history. What this means is is that you and I can't figure it out on our own. You and your evangelism, when you go out to explain it to somebody, unless the Spirit of God speaks in the darkness of the heart of that man, that woman, that child, you may be giving them truth, but the Spirit has to, he has to, in a sense, pull the curtain back on their heart, in their mind. It is a whole and complete work of the God from beginning to end. Wisdom and insight have to be granted to us. We need grace even in understanding what he's doing in the beloved, redeeming us. Keep going. 
He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. Have you seen that phrase before? If you circle the words kind intention, draw a line back up to verse 5, you see it once again. Again, Paul, if he were in ninth grade English, would have read all over this passage for redundancy here. He'd get a D at least if he had my ninth grade English teacher. He's going to be clear. It's according to what? To you? No. It's according to God. It's all God. From Him, through Him, to Him. It's all about Him. It's all done by Him. That's the unpacking of grace. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him. Who's Him? He the Father made known to us through His kind intention, the purpose of His will, the mystery of His will, and He the Father purposed this whole unfolding, this enlightenment for us, this pulling back of the curtain. The Father did that in Him, meaning Christ. How, how, does, he, how does it get revealed to us? Well, even still now, the Father has to work in the heart and in the darkness of a man's mind and life to reveal what Christ has accomplished in time and space. It's still, it's still what God has done for you. So it's done in Him. Keep going. He has done this. He who? He the Father has done this in Him, in Christ, according to the kind intention of His will. He's brought wisdom and insight so that we could understand the mystery, so the veil could be pulled back, so that we could see through our sinfulness when on our own we couldn't see. Check this out. He did this, God the Father did this, verse 10, with a view with a view to an administration, or um, the other word that could be used there is a, um, what's the, uh, Seth, what's the word I'm looking for? Not administration, but a dispensation. Either an administration or a dispensable dispensation suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. What is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look back now at the Father who's planned all this out through the Son. It's from Him. He's done it all. Even when we're trying to understand Christ, we need His help to to be guided to the truth. But in eternity past, He's doing this. God the Father does this. This is amazing. All the way in eternity past, chooses us, adopts us, predestines us, uses Christ to make it all legal and justifiable because His righteousness requires that it be legally done. That's why Hosea has to go and buy Gomer legally so that that marriage can be reconciled. And so God the Father in eternity past, he sees all this come to pass. He predestines this happening. How does it apply to us? It applies to us as he now enters in, helps us to see through our sin, the work of Jesus. That's more grace. And now we get insight into what he was thinking when he did it. Here's what he's thinking. From eternity past, he's thinking about eternity future. With a view, verse 10, to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. God the Father sees eternity in the future and maps all this out. He's not figuring it out along the way. The Father has from eternity known that through Christ he can see Check this out. He can see 
the outcome. What is the outcome? The outcome is, is that everything comes together under the head. My translation says that it is summed up, all things summed up in Christ. Uh, maybe a more literal translation of that word summing up would be head, uh, brought the head back. It's, uh, I think if you just put it in order, it's head back. It's the idea in the Greek in Paul's day, when you would take a list in commerce and you would add up the numbers of things you sold, you wouldn't draw a line and write the answer at the bottom. That wouldn't be where you put the sum. You would add it all up and you would bring your final answer back to the top. And this word began to be used for a heading up. It's the culmination of everything. It's taking every part along the way and bringing it together so that everybody could see how every piece mattered and is planned out for the full culmination of the name that gets put at the head of the list, who is Jesus Christ. So the Father in eternity past, through the redemption of the Son in His blood, and our adoption, our forgiveness of our debts, sees all the way through that, knowing that one day all things will come together, everything will be made right. Uh, scripture puts it like this, that the lion will lay down with the lamb, that the children will play in the viper's hole, that all things will be made right again, that we'll, we'll take our instruments of war, our spears and our swords, and we'll melt them down, we'll bang them out into, into instruments of fruitfulness. We'll need them no more. We'll study war no more. It's the culmination of all those things that Paul sees here through the redemption that we have in Christ. You see the bookends here? Eternity past, all the way to eternity future, with a view to a time suitable for the fullness of times, the summing up of all things. There's that phrase again. In Christ, he gets to be head of the list. That's how it all summarizes. That's how it all culminates. That's how it all ends. To the glory of Christ. Things in the heavens and things in the earth. How much will get made right? All things. Are we there yet? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're in what you call the church age. We're in a time before this time he's speaking of right now. But God the Father sees through that time. He sees our redemption, our adoption. He sees Christ on the cross. He sees how it all plays out. He's mapped all that out. He even knows the time that we're in right now. And with a view towards even through where we are now, he sees all things coming back together to the glory of his beloved Son. And watch this, end of verse 10. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. In him who? In Christ. That's how he ended in verse 10. All things are summed up in Christ. And in him we also obtain an inheritance. How do you get an inheritance? You get an inheritance when your predecessor passes away, when he dies, when he goes to a cross. The inheritance legally passes to the next generation. That's what we get from Christ. Are we left out? According to Paul, according to Scripture, are we left out? When God looks through to this view all the way to the culmination of things, are we left out? No. You know what we get in Christ along in that culmination day, in that season when all things come back under the head who is Jesus? Where are we? We are, we are 
Exactly what he said we are. We're sons and daughters. We're, we're in the beloved. We're in Christ. And so we are adopted and we get the inheritance of the one who paid the price. We have obtained inheritance. And then look at this bookend here. He circles all the way back to where he started. How, do, how does that happen? Because we have been what? Predestined. Because of us? No, it's according to his purpose. Who works all things after the counsel of what? A whim? Circumstance? How well your life plays out in time and space? No. It's all after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be, and look at where this section culminates right here. Same phrase he used earlier. To the praise of his glory. Where did we end when he was talking about the the initiation of the Father? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Where do we end when we talk about what he's done through the Son? To the praise of his glory. Uh, Sneak peek. Where are we going to end after we talk about the role of the Holy Spirit? To the praise of his glory. It all points back to the Father. And what he's done from eternity to eternity. He's left nothing to chance. He's not wringing his hands, church. He's not caught off guard. He's not in this cosmic tennis match with Satan. Gaining a point, losing a point. Gaining a point, losing a point. Our Heavenly Father is on the throne. It's not yet recognized by all, but one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the praise of the glory of His grace that Jesus Christ is Lord. He'll be put back at the head in the culmination of times, times that the Father has already seen, already planned for. Jesus has a name above every name. Let me show you one more thing. In Him you also, verse 13, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I'll talk to you about the Holy Spirit next time. But did you notice a change there? Paul went from using words like uh, pronouns in verse 7, in Him we have redemption. Verse 11, also we have obtained. To verse 13, in Him you also. It's like he's including somebody different there. What's he talking about? Paul being a Jew knows that the message has gone to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. If you're not a Jew, easy way to remember it, you're a Gentile. There's only two categories of people in Scripture, Jews and Gentiles. Most of us in here fall into the category of Gentiles. Okay, Paul first is speaking of we, what we get. And you could also collectively apply that to we, the church, because we are like the Jew and, and the Gentile now, all one in, in a sense. But understand something. He goes from we in the Ephesus church and to all the surrounding churches. And he includes also the Gentiles out there. That's what he says, you also. And here's the point I want to make. That in all of God's planning here, we, we, get, in, we get included from eternity to eternity so that we understand, I, I think in part, where we are in our life, where we are in this grand scheme of things. Remember I said that we right now, Jew and Gentile, we are in what you might call the church age. We're still waiting on that day when the culmination happens, when everything gets made right, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We're still longing for that day. 
Today, we, Jew and Gentile alike, we fall under and in the category of the church. God looks through us, and and get, get this concept in your mind. We are, as a church, collectively, not just Cornerstone Church, but the church, we are a preview to the culmination of all the days. Now, let me explain what, what, what I mean by that. Um, there's, there is one place on earth in our day and time in, in the grand scheme of history where humanity should be able to catch a glimpse of eternity future. Let me say that again. There's one place on earth, in our world, in our day and time, where the world, the lost and dying world, should be able to catch a glimpse, a preview, if you will, of that view that God saw from eternity past, the culminating of all things under Christ. There's one place of preview where they should be able to see into the future. Where is it? Starts with a CH, ends with a CH, and sounds a lot like urch. Church. Right here, among all the other places that call themselves churches. In this place, the world should be able to catch a glimpse of the divine plan of God. Jew and Gentile, black and white, rich, poor, young and old, pretty and ugly. Whatever it is, they should be able to look in this place and see there's something strange in this place. That guy can sit with that guy. He'll share his money with them. They're going to consider all things to be equal. There's not going to be a seating chart in this club? No. Why? We, right now, we're a preview to that which is to come. I hope. (laughs) I pray. I pray. To the praise and the glory of His grace. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I helped walk us through this passage, and I feel like I've just been shot with a uh, high-power fire hose, blown away by uh, the amount of truth in, in just this passage. The sheer uh, weight of your grace comes through, um, maybe clearer than anywhere else in Scripture that I know of. It comes through right here, and... And uh, I, I hope that uh, people leave here tired this morning in a, in a sense that, uh, that the weight of your, your glory is heavy on us. And Lord, there is a, uh, there's a tension in my own heart and my mind as I, as I teach through passages like this. It is so clear that you intend for us to understand how much you love us the extent that you've gone to to grant us grace, but it's also clear how the focus rightly needs to be put put right at your feet. And sometimes, Lord, when we, when we teach the word and when we share the gospel, it's... It, it gets confused. It, it seems to people that what we're saying is that, that we're so lovable and attractive to you that you can't help but to send your son for us. And that's how much you love us. But Lord, that's, that's not accurate. 
you do love us. You love us in a way, frankly, that is beyond our understanding, I think. But you love us according to your goodwill, according to the counsel of your will, according to the riches of your grace. Your love is not, is not rooted in what you see in us. But the good news is, is that, uh, Lord, I'm thankful it's not. Because what you see in my heart and in my mind is very often not pleasing. The amazing thing is that you still sent the beloved. You still redeemed us. You still forgave us our trespasses. You still adopted us. You still placed us in Christ. And that love is beyond me. All we have is Christ. Just as the song uh, we're about to sing says, all we have is Christ. So Lord, uh, would, you, would you let the words of Ephesians 1 sink deep into our hearts and transform us into the likeness of the firstborn, to the likeness of the cornerstone of this church so that you would continue to sanctify us, make us holy and blameless so that we might stand before you spotless when we're presented as, as brides. Lord, I love you. And um, would, you, would you take this light, the wisdom of this mystery, would you use us to be the hands and feet and the mouthpiece of this good news in a dark world? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why don't you stand? We're gonna, we're gonna do one song. If you were in prayer, it was the song we ended on. You can sing if you like. Or you could just listen to what the Spirit has to say to you before you leave. You just got a couple more moments before you, you get back out to the rat race and life continues, right? But ask Him just before you go. Ask Him how this truth needs to shape your life, how it needs to change your Monday, how it needs to change your Tuesday, and so on and so on. Today may be a day where... Um, You've heard the story of Christmas and Easter many times, but you've never, you've never quite understood the eternal plan of a sovereign and holy and loving God, quite like you heard it from Ephesians chapter 1. And maybe pieces of the puzzle are falling into place like they never have before. And maybe, maybe your heart's saying that if, if for at least phone rings, some crazy Jamaican tune, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> What was I saying, Craig? Maybe, despite Satan's ploys to distract us through Elder Radley, um, maybe today your heart is drawn to a God that you've never quite clearly seen before. Maybe the Holy Spirit is pulling back some of the clouds and some of the darkness, granting wisdom and insight so that you can clearly see grace for what it is. And here's what the Bible says you need to do. Repent, turn, turn from your sinfulness and place your faith wholly and completely in Jesus Christ 
the one who paid your redemption in his shed blood. If that's you, if you want to if you want to talk to somebody about that, I'll be at the door as you go. Just say, hey, can we talk more about this? This Ephesians 1, Jesus, because maybe I, maybe I haven't been quite so clear. If that's you, you can grab me on the way out and we'll talk. Amen. Church, let's do business with God and we'll be dismissed after prayer.